right, welcome to the Restaurant Marketing Podcast, where we talk about how multi-unit brands successfully market at the local level. Today in the show, we welcome Blake Johnson, the Vice President of Marketing at Craveworthy Brands from Craveworthy Brands. Uh, they are a multi-unit, multi-brand restaurant group founded by the former CEO of Jimmy John's. Uh, if you're all at LinkedIn, you probably likely know who he is. Uh, Blake was appointed Craveworthy Brands Vice President of Marketing in early 2022. Uh, and prior to that, he previously led marketing for the efforts at Genghis Grill Brand, which actually now is part of the Craveworthy family. Uh, Blake has 15 years experience in the industry in both marketing and operations roles, working on a number of different brands, including Nuke's Eatery. And a really fun fact, uh, Blake was a kid actor who starred in a what he called failed kid, kids video series in the 90s called Magic Max, where he actually played himself. Blake, <laughs> welcome to the Restaurant Marketing Podcast. Thanks for having me. Super I love, that. Right. I love that fun fact about me. Now I'm going to be red for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> God bless. Guy is all about it here. Thanks, Guy. All right. Listen, if you're watching the show live, thank you. Uh, if you have questions and you're on YouTube, LinkedIn, or Facebook, just pop your question as a comment. We'll bring them up on screen. And, and if you're listening to the audio broadcast, we do these live. So you're welcome to join us. But let's kick right into it, Blake. Uh, what is the most difficult thing about it being in charge of marketing for a multi-brand, multi-unit concept? Like, how do you think about, how do you divide your day up? Well, that's a loaded question. Um, Craveworthy Brands is a, we have seven very unique, diverse brands in various stages of a life cycle and journey, right? So we've got legacy brands like Genghis Grill and BDs and Flat Top that have been around for like over 25 years that have, you know, infrastructure in place, right? And then we've got like new brands that have just sprouted up like Kraft and Burger Bar and Tap and Lucky Cat Poke Company um, that don't necessarily have the infrastructure that we're working on, right? And then we've got new acquisitions like Bud Long and Wing It On that come with their own uh, tools, right? So managing 125 units between seven brands, most of which are franchise brands, um, is difficult, right? But it's all handled by kind of my slim, young marketing team here. Uh, we're small but mighty, uh, but it's not a huge committee. So I'd say like the the hardest thing for us is just uh, managing the sheer volume, but the way that we kind of attack that is through systems, processes, procedures, and really great tools, really great partners so that we can scale that activity and not like be caught in the constant hamster wheel of activity, right? Uh, my audience has a tendency to like the uh, how it's done answers. Sure, pick, yeah. Pick one example, I don't care what it is, of one way that you have effectively figured out how to solve that problem. Is it a specific tool, a system? Like just one example would be amazing. Yeah, in terms of like organization for my team, we use tools like like project manager tools like Trello uh, to it, with a lot of our vendors to kind of manage the sheer volume of activity that's going on um, in terms of like project management and, and team management. That's how we communicate. It's all evangelized in one place. In terms of like marketing tactics and tools, um, the point we're at right now with Craveworthy is like making enterprise decisions for the entire um, system for all the brands. So I'm looking at marketing tools like an SEO partner, good location page partner, something that's going to like aggregate all the brands, all the locations that we have between 125 units and put it in a nice, simple solution. So we use like Yext or Rio SEO that creates, you know, location pages and they use, uh, you know, it's a nice, simple dashboard where you control all your hours, your times, make sure all that your info and uh, information is correct and helps you crank out a lot of things really quickly and has it all in one place um, in terms of like 
location pages and SEO for all locations. I'm kind of using that tactic for all my vendors, all of my MarTech, right? So I'm trying to make, um, to use that, that tactic of streamlining and using the same provider for everybody just to make it manageable. So things like loyalty programs, right? Uh, we use Punch on our legacy brands um, and hoping to scale that onto some of our younger emerging brands um, so that, you know, there's not a ton of like onboarding and a learning curve with learning new tools and systems between my, my young, my young team here. Right. So that we're expert in a certain platform. Uh, and then we can be the most efficient with all seven brands to kind of divide our time efficiently. Got it. Um, so just for the heads up, former director of marketing at Yaks, big fan. So. Okay. Awesome. And I didn't, I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> oh, I'm a massive advocate. I'm a massive advocate. Yeah, it's a, is, a, is a lifesaver, right? Like there's no possible way that we can do what we do and manage the sheer volume. And, and granted, like we're seven brands, but only 125 units. So we're mid size, um, but there's no possible way that we would manage that from a central location without using something like Yext or a Rio SEO, right? It just makes it uh, easy and scalable. Amen. Well, I, I say all the time and I subscribe to this policy that even though you might have multiple locations, multiple brands, all this type thing, every store is a local business. It has local absolutely. guests, it has local employees, it has local needs. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. That's absolutely. Awesome. Um, you don't have to go any deeper than you want to in this following question. But um, when you're thinking about uh, systems change, right? And you have brands that you inherited that had a system or a tool, and there's ones that you prefer. How do you manage like the selection slash ad adoption of whatever that tool happens to be? Yeah, I, that's a great question. It's something that we're kind of uh, on the precipice of right now with acquiring, you know, we just acquired a, a brand like the Bud Long, which was young in their life cycle in September, but then we acquired uh, Wing It On, which is a, a little bit more sophisticated, only 12 locations, but fairly sophisticated in their tech stack. Um, when we acquire a brand like that, I don't want to come in and just make a blanket decision like everybody's, you know, let's pull the rug out from uh, uh, not only the operators, right, the the brand stakeholders, but also when you make like sudden uh, decisions like that and sudden changes that can really have an impact on like consumers, right, the customers. Um, so just things that I consider is kind of like level of effort, right? Um, if I'm going to switch from, you know, punch to someone else or switch someone else to punch what's the level of effort what's the level of complexity i'm considering cost um but at the end of the day i'm considering you know what's going to be the least disruptive to the customer experience um and and try to make it as transparent as possible right they don't need to know the the guts the, the consumer doesn't need to know the guts and what's going into that decision and those changes so at all possible you know it's just an app update or, hey, we need you to update your email address or something like that, right? But sure. it's uh, it's difficult. So we're kind of in that in that period right now because it, we've got a lot of new acquisition um, and Craveworthy is a relatively new thing. It's in the last couple of months. So we're in this period right now where we're just kind of doing discovery, right? We've got some established systems that we use on the legacy brands like Punch. And then we've got some younger brands that use uh, an, you know up and coming platforms like Incentivio. And so really we're just kind of um, scaling back and looking at what might make sense from an enterprise level for everybody. 
Sure. I think in a long-term play, you can kind of use this brand to test this, this brand to test that, and then maybe make a long-term informed decision down the line, right? That's that's the best thing, right? Like all of these platforms, you know, they're, I say you know, best in class, but there's no one best in class, right? Like there's uh, some that, that do it really well and have the experience and have the scale. Um, and then some, you know, startups that uh, are, are doing super well, that don't necessarily have uh, the scale and the, the manpower and the resources, but they're more innovative, right? They can move a little bit quicker. They can develop new technologies that maybe uh, some of my brands want to try. Um, so, you know, it, it, while we're making a decision, I can try a little bit over here and uh, make a decision that'll impact the, the rest of the brand. So it is a, a nice position to be in when you have multiple brands like we do. Awesome. I have a great question from Guy that I want to answer here from a second, but I want to stay in this technology thing for, for a moment. Um, it sounds to me like you probably have a direct line, like maybe a, a bi-directional line with the tech team. Is that true? Like, how do you manage that as a marketing person? Yeah. I mean, I would say this is especially true over like the last 10 years is uh, marketing and uh, IT are like linked. And in fact, I'll use Nukes, for example, my old, my old boss there was over uh, the whole experience, right? So she was over guest experience, which included IT and marketing, because those two, those two things, to your point, are so linked um, in terms of the tech stack and, and the marketing tech. So me and my um, uh, vice president of technology, Jason, are, we talk more so than any other department, more so than accounting or ops. Uh, him and I are in lockstep about the decisions we make because all of it is going to impact kind of both sides of the business and all of it uses, you know, POS data and online ordering platforms and all of it is, uh, you know, it's fully integrated and what we're moving towards in terms of the consumer experience is a seamless, like pain-free experience and you have to leverage, uh, you know, good technology and a good solid tech stack in order to do that. And I think beyond that too, from a marketing side, the biggest pain point for me over the last few years, um, especially acquiring brands, because you acquire a lot of like tech stacks that are um, immature, I guess, not sophisticated and or kind of held together by duct tape um, at certain points. Um, the biggest challenge for me is kind of trying to piece together all this disparate parts of data that come from, you know, credit cards and POS and, your online ordering systems and your loyalty programs, trying to piece together all that data and it's like a cohesive uh, marketing story and, and drive a, a, a really effective marketing plan is difficult. So IT and technology and, and the people that work in that department are like my best friends uh, in that specific effort. Yeah, I think uh, I think marketing has a very hard job at restaurants these days because we have seven billion tools and everybody wants one report. <laughs> I know. Yeah, they, they want uh, the answer served up, uh, and it's like one to one marketing. Everyone gets a personalized approach, and it's like that'd be great if I had, a, you know, a supercomputer and a tool and a team of you know fifty working on that initiative. But you know, we're we're scrappy. You know, we do have seven brands and. 125 units, but we're mid-size and, and we have a, a small team in all departments. So it's we're really looking for tools that'll help streamline that process. I love this. All right, uh, we had less than 20 minutes left here. I wanna get hyper-tactical and we're gonna segue here with a question from Guy Clark. 
Uh, do you allow your franchises to have their own social social media or do they have one main brand account per franchise? And what's the best? Like, should each store or district have one or should it just be a main one? Like, how do you guys think about it and manage it? So from us, that's that's another interesting question. So I've done it many different ways in, in the past. And what we're trying to get to is one brand level account uh, versus a local account. Um, because I've, I've had the experience, I've had local franchisees like selling furniture on Facebook. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And as much as you try to rein that in and approve and, and, and all of that, uh, oh yeah, I've had posting pictures of your kids and, you know, you can get, you can get a uh, highly emotional on social media, as you know. So, um, trying to rein that in, and especially if, if you don't have the team and the bandwidth to do that is, is tough. And it's kind of like divide and conquer if everyone's got their own, uh, you know, Instagram handle and they're uh, they're posting on behalf of the brand and, you know, try to provide them brand assets, but you never know what you're going to end up with. So what we found most effective is really try to have a really robust uh, brand page where all the activity flows through. Um, and then in terms of like local, if, you know, everyone has access to their location pages on Facebook. So if they wanted to post, um, you know, something that's uh, approved and we, we approve it, right? So if they wanted to post uh, something at the local level and kind of boost that uh, local message, absolutely, but it has to be approved and go through a process. Um, you know, we've acquired brands where everyone, it's been the opposite way. There's no real strong brand presence and it's all local pages and you never know what you're gonna find. So we just find it more effective just to have a really strong, uh, you know, brand that we grow follower count, right? We're trying to grow our, our brand presence nationally on all brands and grow up followers. So uh, we don't want to dilute the message, right? With multiple accounts. Um, but in terms of advertising, right? Like the local level, social media and things like that, that that's a different, that's a different story, right? We, we definitely encourage our franchisees to advertise on social and, and provide them the assets to do so. Uh, but content curation and content generation is not necessarily um, the, the, the strongest suit of the, the, the franchise owner, unless you've got a very sophisticated franchise owner. Okay, so let's talk about, it's a good segue, thank you. Uh, let's talk about the local marketing actions that, I don't want to make it sound like you guys are, uh, Let's just go down the road. It's slightly different. Okay, so you got a, a franchise. You got franchisees. What kind of marketing are they given permission to kind of be in charge of? Sure. So for us, uh, there's a couple different areas, right? So there's what we're trying to do is create systems, processes, and procedures and tools um, to really make it as effortless as possible for them to market on the local level and spend a local budget. So we're trying to find uh, and, and have found some great partners like advertising, for example. We partner with a few different vendors that help make spending that local commitment as like easy as possible. So we use vendors like local search masters, Centro, Imspark. Um, they can take our national advertising and scale it down so you can boost it in the local DMAs. They can even geofence the restaurant's location for super effective local digital marketing. Um, all of those assets are ready to go. They're provided by our team uh, to make sure that like the branding and the messaging is consistent. And then our agency partners provide really good recommendations on the local level, um, really good affordable budgets that are really efficient. And then they place media on behalf of our franchise partners on that local level. 
and that media ranges from you know, digital and social search, streaming, print, direct mail, you name it, whatever makes the most sense given the resources, the budget, the objective. Again, making that process streamlined. What we've found is, you know, a lot of our franchise owners own, you know, a, a two or three unit DMA, right? Not a, not a lot. And then they've got other brands um, that they're working and it's, they, they're not marketers, right? Um, they don't have, they're running a $3 million business. They don't have time to make those decisions. So we're kind of serving up these options to get them to spend that local commitment on like a silver platter, right? Just to make sure that they're making it easy to spend that local commitment. And then in terms oh. of, oh, go ahead. No, no, you go. Yeah, I was going to say in terms of like own media, loyalty programs. Um, so I said, you know, we use Punch. And so, of course, we have a national program that benefits all locations that we take care of, but we encourage our franchise partners and our operators to really use that program as a tool to grow sales in their local DMAs. So the cool thing is with Punch is you can access turnkey campaigns to activate whenever they need to, right, at the local level for an extra boost on top of the national program. So that's proven offers we know, you know, move direct response, move traffic. Um, that they can deploy at any time um, and they can just log in. They have access to the dashboard. They can log in and fire off certain campaigns and cer certain local campaigns that make sense, whether it's like a fundraiser or, you know, $5 off 20 or something like that, that makes sense for them. We have a set of assets that they can deploy, making it easy. And of course, that's one of the least expensive options in ter terms of marketing costs, right? It's using the audience that already knows and loves you. They've built up a following over time, so that's a that's an audience that you can deploy super quick for a direct response. Um, and what's cool about Punch is our franchise partners and our operators can really drill down and report on each location at the granular level, so they can look at their specific audience behaviors, spending habits of their customers, right, and get a really customized report on their store's performance and metrics. Um, versus just us reporting on kind of the national level. Um, that's that's one of the tools they use most often because it's inexpensive and you can just deploy it at any time. Got it. So you have an agency that's on some level coming up with digital creative ads, sure. campaigns, whatever. What's the what's the approval or involvement process look like at the local level? So the approval process that uh, like my team, the approval process at our level or the approval process in terms of. Uh, so you, you, have an, you have an agency of record. Their job mm -hmm. is to create and manage and come up with ideas of local store marketing, right? Sure. Yeah. The local store covers that in their uh, marketing commitments, right? Mm -hmm. Is the, what is the. What does the approval or process look like at the local level? Like, like the agency's like, hey, we want to run Google search ads. Like sure, does franchisee sure. owner get in and approve it or they just go, yeah, 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 go ahead. Like, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. So they provide kind of a package of, uh, you know, here's, hey, they have a consultation with our franchise partners um, and it's, here's my budget. Here's what I'm able to spend this month. It's usually a, a monthly flight. Uh, and then the agency will come in and kind of assess the situation, look at a, a variety of metrics in their local area, kind of do like a mini squad analysis, right? And then provide like, here's the media mix. It's not super sophisticated because a lot of the budgets are, are fairly slim. Um, it's fairly basic, but here's the media mix. And they present that uh, to the franchisee and we're included as well. 
And if the franchisees have any questions, obviously they work with the agency, we're on hand to provide any sort of uh, insight or recommendations. Um, but from, you know, based on experience, we haven't had a ton of like pushback um, in terms of like, well, that's not, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this. I want to do this type of media or whatnot. Usually it's, it's a fairly seamless experience. And you get the occasional franchisee that, you know, hears like buzzwords, like ah, geofencing or TikTok or something like that, that, um, you know, they want to know a little bit more about. Um, and that's the popular thing of, of the, the minute, right? And so in that case, you know, we'll, we'll imbibe and, and uh, offer up recommendations or whatnot, but usually it's a pretty streamlined process. Um, and the tactics that we use and the creative we use is usually all pretty uh, evergreen and, you know, fully vetted. It's things that we do on the national level. It's just an extra overlay at the, the local level. So it's not anything out of left field, right? When you get down to the, the, the local media mix. Okay, so I wanna make sure I understand. So you go to the franchisee who's indicated that they want to make some sort of marketing move with a budget. Sure. And you're like, Here, here's pre-approved brand creative. Here's pre-approved language. Here's what we think the budget should be. Here should be targeting. Hey, franchisee, yes or no? Like, yes. Yeah, okay. are, are you <laughs> right. good? Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, there's very, very little, in our experience, very little pushback in terms of our, we've got some really great partners and make some really good recommendations. You know, we've chosen them strategically as the experts uh, and our franchise partners respect that, right? And, and they they respect them as a subject matter experts and, and take their advice often. So it's, it's, it's worked out pretty well. I love it. Are you a fan of direct mail? Uh, yeah, yeah. So... If you had asked me pre-COVID, I would have said like, that's the weird thing about the the, the media these days, right? Like pre-COVID, uh, per brand, we had things that worked, that hit, that we could always rely on, right? And direct mail was one of those. It was like an immediate response. If we needed a lift in sales, that's the that was our tactic. Post, you know, we've dropped a few direct mails and just has not hit the way it used to. Um, so I would say, and that goes with, with all media, right? It's, I mean, obviously there's been a shift to digital and it's more efficient and cost-effective, but, um, you know, certain, certain tactics worked before and they just aren't hitting the way that they used to just because of the shift that, I mean, you a complete shift, uh, in the global economy. So it, it just, it, it makes sense that what worked before doesn't necessarily work today. And our, you know, our customers change, um, per brand, they change things change. So we're always constantly testing different tactics. Like we will do a direct mail and maybe a corporate owned market, see if it hits. Uh, if it does, you know, obviously we'll take the creative and, and kind of the tactics and the coupons and things like that we use and present it to the rest of the system as an option. Um, but we have to demonstrate, you know, a, a pretty compelling story and able to do that. And direct mail lately hasn't, hasn't been that, uh, that tactic. Interesting. Here's a little tactic we've learned with our clients. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna mail a certain group, you have to mail them multiple times. You get a, a two to three percent increase on every mail. So if you yes. have one to one to two conversion rate the first time, it's two to four or four to six. Sure. Uh, the key though is that the the frequency in between the two mails has to match what your average lapse is. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so like you can't mail inside of a if somebody would have typically lapsed, you don't want to mail inside that window. You kind of want to wait for the lapse. Sure, sure. Yeah, that makes total sense. sense. Yeah. 
All right, let's go a little bit of speed round here. We got a few minutes left. Um, what's the best? What's the best channel for new guest acquisition? I think so. There's a, there's a couple, right? I think uh, social is probably one of the best um, that we use at Top Funnel advertising to get new guests lately. And this is going to be blasphemous to my industry partners. We've been acquiring in terms of like the trial channel and top funnel. We've been acquiring a ton of new guests through third-party delivery. Um, and so at once at one time, uh, you know, in the industry, we would have like, it was a necessary evil. Like we had to do it. We didn't want to pay them any more money than we had to. Um, lately I've been thinking about third-party delivery in a completely different way in terms of customer acquisition. Um, and yes, obviously the goal is to get them to convert over to, you know, our on our own online ordering channels or mobile apps, things like that. And if that happens, absolutely. We're going to target this customer with aggressive discounts and a better value proposition to do so. But even if they never left those platforms, that customer is really valuable to me. Um, and they're all, they're mostly new customers too, that haven't really discovered, uh, especially some of our emerging brands. So we've been kind of allocating some of that media mix. Uh, the media dollars over to third-party delivery just to raise kind of visibility on those platforms. Um, and that's actually been really successful for us as, in terms of like new customer acquisition. And in terms of owned and getting them, uh, you know, through the uh, the media or the funnel, it's social for us. It's paid social is the most effective for us. And I assume you mean Facebook and Instagram? Is there one of those or is there another one? Of, is another one you yeah, use? Yeah, cool. Yeah, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we don't really do so much. You know, Meta has the audience network, which goes beyond those two uh, social media uh, ch channels, right? So they feature us on, you know, mobile apps and blogs and all sorts of things. So it's bigger than just those two channels. Um, but, you know, Meta, in terms of advertising, has been really effective for us. And are you running awareness ads, traffic ads, conversion ads? What What do you find? Running everything and, and everything, right? We're running tests, uh, constantly A-B testing with different creative, different tactics, different objectives. Um, you know, some of our objectives are to, you know, drive up awareness. Some of them are to drive up uh, acquisition in the app uh, for some of our brands. Um, some of them are to drive, you know, walk-in traffic, things like that. Um, but running tons of different objectives all the time. And Meta has been fairly um, uh, good in terms of like the, the learning, the machine learning, right? Is we set, we don't over target, right? We kind of let Meta do what Meta does. Um, you know, we set specific like location targets and certain interests and things like that, but we really let the, the tool learn and optimize. Uh, and it really, so far, has given us the best bang for the buck, especially when budgets, when you don't have a huge amount of uh, budget, right, for, for smaller brands like ours. Yeah, we have, we have found in, in working with my clients that uh, we call it carpet bombing. If you yeah. carpet bombing, if you carpet bomb and just throw tons of interest and targeting in there, it actually makes the ad harder to perform and more expensive. Whereas if you kind of narrow it down, yeah. you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is reaching the widest audience. Yeah, it's like it, the it's antithetical to what we've been told, right? Is is what you should do is you know one to one direct target. That's the that's the beauty of digital marketing, uh, and some of these platforms like Meta are so um, robust, right? In terms of machine learning, that like really you do minimal amount of targeting and don't over target and shoot yourself in the foot and let Meta do what Meta does, right? 
and really deliver the best bang for your buck and find the, the most relevant audience. Absolutely. Got it. All right. Quick hit Google search ads. Yay or nay? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And we do that like in terms of paid, you know, paid social or using meta as kind of top funnel. I kind of use search um, and some of the tools through Google ads is kind of like mid funnel and even, you know, they're lower in their consideration funnel, but it, you know, if you're tracking folks from top funnel on meta, uh, Google search is kind of where you're catching those leads. Right. Um, and then paying off on it and it helps you with SEO and it's inexpensive. And what we're doing on Google is search, but we're also doing like digital display using performance max. Um, that kind of shoots it out on all of their different networks because they're massive and we've been getting great bang for our buck on that as well. That's awesome. Uh, all right. Again, quick answer. Uh, top channel for retention. It sounds like it might be loyalty, but is there a quick, what, what's your top channel? How do you get guests to come back? It's loyalty. That's the, that's the engine. Once we've gotten you through the door, uh, we're trying to get you into our loyalty program, which is the, the best way to participate with our brands. Um, and that provides for us like direct response. Uh, we've the, got, go ahead. Say what's the top way you get somebody who's been a customer to opt into loyalty? Uh, it's repetition, right. And really, uh, a, a great, um, acquisition tool or a great like first reward. Um, and I've said this before, uh, the, the way the purchase while, you know, the first rewards, the welcome reward as the incentive for to sign up needs to be super, super strong uh, these days, especially that everybody has a loyalty program. Everybody's got a mobile app. You really have to give the consumer the goods to get them to tip over and download your app or sign up for your rewards program uh, right at the very beginning because everyone's super savvy. And it's very, they're very much in a what can you do for me mode these days. Um, so that first reward needs to be super lucrative. And for us, like for Gingus, it's a, it's a free small bowl right off the bat, uh, which is like the best, one of the best rewards that we can give. We only serve bowls. So right off the bat, it's not, you know, a, uh, a hidden cost to the consumer. It's not a, a one, you know, buy this, get that, or one of those, it's just a no strings attached. Here it is. And we were really worried about doing that. But in terms of acquisition, like we boosted acquisition like tenfold just by switching the welcome offer. And then we that saw in terms of like getting them from that welcome to the, you know, second transaction, uh, we boosted that, you know, we went from like 30% to 50% just by uh, dropping a rich reward and then coming up with a very, uh, you know, lucrative customer journey after that. But we were nervous because that's, you know, in terms of value, uh, you can't get any richer than that. That is awesome. All right, Blake. Well, it's a 30 minute show. We're one minute over, but that answer was so good. I didn't want to stop you. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. I knew we'd get a ton of nuggets out of here. So again, Blake Johnson, vice president of marketing for Craveworthy Brands. This has been incredible. Thank you for sharing such deep, incredible tactics and knowledge with us today. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And if you guys are listening to the show live, we appreciate it. If you listen to it live and if you're listening to the audio version, please share this with a friend that you think will appreciate it. If you think there's somebody who should be on the show, Reach out to me, everybody. Make it a great, tasty day. We are super grateful for you being here.